Welcome to this week's Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are Kate Bailey and Emma Ajimang, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle, and Daniel Godfrey, Chief Executive of the People's Trust. The People's Trust has been preparing its launch for more than a year, but has taken a different approach to preparing its initial public offering to other investment trusts, raising some of its launch costs via a crowdfund campaign. Daniel, can you tell us a bit about the People's Trust and what it will invest in? Yeah, thank you. The, the People's Trust is intended to be a fund that has no commercial backing and therefore doesn't owe anything to anyone other than its investors. And that's why we set it up through this uh, crowdfunding campaign last year. Uh, and it's going to invest largely in public market listed companies all around the world, uh, with a small slice of the portfolio being separated out for direct social impact investing in the UK. Uh, and this is not charity. This is investing in uh, community interests and, com- and charities, typically, who already have a working financial model and who want to scale up or have working capital. So this is at the end of the spectrum where we are not looking to maximise returns, but it will contribute to growth uh, with a target of around 4%. But where you really know that the money is being used for good and you can look at uh, the companies online and see what they're doing. Uh, But the rest of the portfolio is being allocated out to five outstanding equity investment managers with very different portfolios, trying to uh, invest in companies that will create wealth sustainably over long periods of time, uh, with the expectation that over rolling seven year periods, you'll get better returns than you would from most other investments, but also with less risk and with a better impact on society. Okay, so now why did you go for um, seven years to measure your performance? Because I mean, a lot of funds are assessed over five years and three years. Yeah, I don't think five years is quite enough, actually. If you look at uh, both the typical business cycle, uh, which would be uh, around seven years, um, and if you look at the amount of time it may take for big investments by companies to pay off, quite often that can take longer than five years as well. And I think what we needed to do was find a way of removing pressure for short-term returns from our investment managers, of removing pressure for short-term returns from the boards and executives of companies, Companies, so they can really optimise returns over the longer term, which is typically the sort of time horizons that your listeners will have. Okay. Now, you um, alluded to some of its social investments, and you also say in the literature that you'll be encouraging the boards and managements of the companies you invest in to consider their impact, among other things, on the environment and employees, um, alongside putting the money into the social impact investments. So by definition, will the People's Trust be an ethical fund? Well, I'm always a bit cautious to use the word ethical because I think it means different things to different people. So the word I would use, I think, would be responsible. And I think that this is just plain business and investing sense, actually. We intend to invest with high conviction. And what that means is that we'll typically have quite big parts of our portfolio, a few percent potentially in individual companies within each portfolio. And what that means is that we should really care about those companies being sustainable for the long term. And typically, 
typically the things that are going to send a company off track will be some failure of responsibility. It'll be ruining relationships with their employees, with the communities they're in, doing something that causes grave reputational damage, perhaps through an environmental disaster or uh, problems in the supply chain with use of child labour and things like that. And so it really matters to us that companies behave in a responsible way because we think that irresponsibility will put our shareholders' uh, money at risk. Okay, and do you think that having these requirements for your investee companies will limit the range of investment opportunities open to the People's Trust? I think yes. I, I think the the range of opportunities uh, or the range of companies open to us is limited uh, because you'll see that uh, you know globally there's maybe sixty five to one hundred thousand companies, and we're only going to be investing in about one hundred and thirty five to one hundred and forty of them. So you know there are plenty of companies for us to choose from, but we are going to be very fussy, and I think that's what you need to be to be a successful long term investor. And I think that by setting this seven year time horizon. It gives us the ability to really focus on those long term issues, to focus on responsibility in a way that you can't do if you're being measured every three months or every year or at the most three years. What we know is that investment managers have a profit and loss risk and they have career risk if they underperform an arbitrary index for three years in a row. Our view is that if we've got people who can identify companies that will succeed in the long term, we should give them that patience for their investments to come through. Okay. Um, Now, you said you're cautious about maybe defining it as an ethical fund. So what sort of role could the People's Trust pay in investors, play in investors' portfolios? Um, you know, if it's not necessarily an ethical fund just for ethical investors, you know, what, what is, you know, what's its role? Well, I think it would be a fabulous core holding for investors for the long term. Because if we are actually good at doing what we say we're going to do, which is identifying companies that create wealth sustainably over long periods of time, then the outcome is very likely to be better returns than most funds and with less risk than most funds because we'll be avoiding companies that behave irresponsibly and cause loss to shareholder value. And that's the sort of thing that I think most people would want to be in for the long term. What we're not doing is setting some uh, particular negative screens over particular types of companies. And that's why I hesitate to use the ethical description. But I think if you want to take a principled approach to responsibility, then we are something that should be of great interest to you. Okay. I mean, what made you decide to launch this um, kind of fund? Um, And why did you raise some of the initial capital via crowdfund campaign? So the reason I decided to launch it is really through two very strongly held convictions. One is that investment is incredibly important to real people in terms of uh, building up capital, which enables them to protect themselves from financial shocks, to do and to buy the things they dream of uh, doing and buying, and to ensure that they have a decent standard of living as they get older. I also had a very strong conviction that the current way the financial services chain of investment works, because it's focused very much on short-term relative performance rather than long-term sustainable wealth creation, is doing a severe injustice both to our investors but also uh, under-delivering on our potential to have an impact on society and the economy. 
And because of that, I wanted to try to create a fund which was immune to the short-term pressures that are so prevalent within the financial services industry. And a core part of that was setting up something that didn't have a commercial reason other than to deliver great returns to its investors. And the way to make that happen was to raise our set-up costs from the general public, people who said, yes, I'd like to have something like this to invest in. And that means that we're never going to be under the pressure from a commercial sponsor to change the way we do things because we're not delivering them enough profit this year. Did you cover all of the launch costs with the crowdfund? Enough to get us to where we are today. Okay. Now, turning to amounts raised, how much do you hope to raise at the IPO and what are the indications so far of you know what you might get? Well, we, well our target fundraise is £125 million pounds at the IPO. Uh, and so far, our advisors are saying we've got off to a good start, uh, but I'm not counting any chickens yet. So I'm doing everything I can uh, to try and make okay. sure that as can, many can, people as possible are aware. Can you put a number on that? Um, you say good start? Um um, no, I can't at this stage. Okay. Now, um, turning to the internal structure, you said alongside the social investments, which will be a, a small part of the trust, um, five external managers will run most of the money. Now, this is obviously a multi-manager structure, um, and there's a number of multi-manager funds already available. So, I mean, how's yours going to be different, let's say, to um, other investment trusts of that structure, for example, Witten Investment Trust and Alliance Trust? Mm. Well, I I mean, the first thing to say is that I'm a great admirer of Witten, uh, and that I think that Alliance has recently made changes which will hopefully put it on a better path than it's been on for the last few years. There are some very significant differences. And the first, of course, is our objective, uh, that we have no index benchmark objective. And our objective is to make a uh, 7% compound return after costs over rolling seven-year periods. So we're really not looking at indices or peer groups. And I believe that that will unleash our managers uh, to work with the highest conviction on their their best ideas. Secondly, we probably are higher conviction in that we only have five managers. Uh, I think the others have uh, somewhat more. Uh, and that therefore, although we have the diversification of 140 stocks, that's contained within five different high conviction portfolios. And so I think what you get is diversification without losing conviction. Um, So I'd say those are the the two primary differences uh, between us and those from an investment perspective. Okay. Now, when you were selecting the managers, um, you consulted Willis Towers Watson, who are investment consultants. Now, Witten and Alliance Trust also consult with them in selection of their managers. So is there a risk that the People's Trust underlying managers and holdings will have some overlap with uh, Alliance Trust and Witten? Well, I I understand absolutely why you'd ask the question. And it's a good answer, a question to uh, ask in the week when uh, investment consultants have been referred uh, for a competition inquiry. Um, So, but the answer in our case is that we are working with different teams. Uh, We have different uh, managers running different types of portfolios. And the relationships are subtly different for all of us. In our case, uh, Willis Towers Watson have acted as an investment advisor. They've done a lot of work through something called the Thinking Ahead Institute. Institute, specifically to try to promote long-term uh, mandates for investment managers. And although they were a little surprised when I told them I wanted to give our managers seven-year contracts, it's something they've really embraced as we've gone through the process. And so essentially,
actually the role they played for me was to work with me to put my um, layman's language into a very bespoke request for information from fund managers to identify those who really could manage money the way we very specifically wanted it to be managed to help us to construct a long list using all of their uh, the research that's available through their very considerable uh, and experienced team and then myself and the board sat down to interview managers and choose them so it's an advisory role rather than a management role which they have with an alliance and a somewhat different role uh, that they have with Witten. Okay. Now, obviously, these managers are going to be running the equities. So what is your role and what is the board's role on the People's Trust? Well, the the, the role of a board in any investment trust is to be accountable to shareholders and make sure that the the company serves their interests in in, in the best way possible. I think in the case of an investment trust that doesn't have a big fund manager standing behind it, the role of the board is perhaps even more important. Uh, And my role is to act for the board in terms of the governance of all of our partners and suppliers, so not only the fund managers, but also all the administrators to make sure that the money is kept safe and that everyone's doing their job well. It's also to communicate with shareholders because we've got a very different uh, uh, narrative, I think, than most funds. We're saying to our shareholders, look, if you're willing to dial up your time horizon to seven years and you're willing to dial up your commitment so that you recognise that we will hit turbulence from time to time and when you do, you'll put on your seatbelt, not your parachute, that you stick with it, you can expect better outcomes at the, over the long term. And so part of my job is to continue to maintain that communication uh, as we go through both good times and more difficult times. And then finally, my role is to continue to develop the people's trust so that over time, we play a role in uh, increasing financial inclusion in the UK so that people who currently have no long-term investments feel that here's something they can trust, here's something that's accessible and simple for them, uh, and so that we grow the trust uh, quite rapidly over the next few years. And in that way, we're able to use the economies of scale to bring down costs for everybody. Okay, on that note, um, you estimate that your ongoing charge initially, at least, will be 1.07%. Now, this is more than some investment trusts that are largely invested in global equities charge. So how do you justify this? So... As a company that has no commercial driver other than for our shareholders, I I can say absolutely clearly that the costs that we have are not a penny more than they need to be to deliver on what we're doing. And of course, as a company that has no um, commercial backer, all of the economies of scale as we can capture them go to just simply reducing costs. And yes, our costs are higher than they are for some investment trusts that may be 25 times our size. Um, But there are other investment trusts that are more expensive. I don't want to uh, dwell too much on comparisons because I think the most important uh, point to make is that the People's Trust has what's called, uh, in terms of its active share, and I'll briefly explain that. This You may have heard about uh, controversy around things called closet trackers, uh, funds that purport to be active but actually are just hugging an index benchmark. And one of the measures to judge whether a fund is an asset is a closet tracker is what they call its active share how different is it from an index now we don't look at an index but of course as a global fund others may choose to measure us against a global index and our active share is about 94 percent against glo- 
global indices. So we look totally different to any other fund in terms of our uh, portfolio content. We look totally different to any index. And I think what that's likely to mean over seven-year periods is that the difference in our performance from other funds or indices is likely to be much greater than any um, any extra cost that we have while we're small. So the costs are not going to affect whether or not we do better or do worse. Of course, we want to get the costs down, and we will as we grow, because the lower the costs are, the more there is for our shareholders. And our only interest is in serving them. Okay. Now, you alluded to the fact that some investment trusts, which are much larger than you, have lower costs. So um, when you've IPO'd, um, if things go well and the people's trust becomes larger, will the ongoing charge fall? Yes, uh, as surely as night follows day, because there is no one else to benefit from those economies of scale. Okay. And do you have an idea of what levels it might come down to? Well, I have I have a vision for the long-term future, which I think you would expect me to have. Uh, and in 40 years, I'd like to think that we have a cost that's uh, like Berkshire Hathaway in the very, very, you know, the naught point naught something percent. But I think in the next five to 10 years, I'd hope we can get it down to um, well below three quarters of a percent and heading towards a half and perhaps below that. But, you know, this is going to be a function of our growth. So just because I want it won't make it happen. But I can assure you that we'll be doing absolutely everything we can to make it happen. Okay. And finally, when 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 is your IPO? So we're open at the moment for applications uh, for shares, and that closes on the 10th of October. Uh, the minimum subscription coming directly to us is £500, uh, and there are many online platforms who will enable their clients to uh, participate in our launch, and they all seem to have a minimum of about £1,000. Okay. Thank you, Daniel. A really interesting interesting insight into the forthcoming launch of the People's Trust. Biotechnology shares had a bruising 2016, but over the past few months have been making a recovery. However, according to one manager that Kate recently met, this is irrational exuberance rather than recovery, and biotech shares are setting themselves up for another fall. Kate, who is this? Um, so this is Sam Isley, who manages uh, Worldwide Healthcare Trust and the Biotech Growth Trust. So why is he bearish about bi- biotech? I mean, it's it's getting better, isn't it? Well, he's not exactly bearish about biotech. He's more nervous about um, valuations and some of the most speculative emerging biotech companies, um, which he says are kind of getting a bit foamy. Um, so he's more just been, it's more that he's been buying other things. So buying kind of larger biotech stocks, also maybe some more value names where share prices have been a bit depressed. Um, but it, it is surprising that... Um, we're already getting kind of increased valuations among some of the highest risk biotech names, considering uh, how recent the recovery is, really. Okay, now that does sound worrying. Is this going to be a big issue for the Worldwide Healthcare Trust? Well, in fact, it probably won't be a big issue for this trust because um, it's balanced across uh, the kind of whole spectrum of healthcare and biotech and pharma companies. So it includes things like healthcare stocks, healthcare equipment and services, um, pharma, biotech. It's, It's really well diversified. Okay, so if it's in, you know, so, so so well spread, let's say, across various things and has its eggs in various baskets rather than one. Um, did it cope a bit better during the past difficult years for the biotech sector? Yeah, so I mean, in 2016, for example, the calendar year, um, the Nasdaq Biotech Index fell by more than 6%, but this trust made 
very positive returns. So, and it's just the returns have been much less volatile than biotechnology, which has kind of swung dramatically from uh, positive to negative. So, yes, it has it has fared a bit better, and in fact, its performance over the long term is is very solid. In ten years, it's returned four hundred seventy six percent, and that's against its index, which is MSCI World Healthcare, uh, just under two hundred fifty percent. So, it's it's a very good long term performer. Okay, so yeah, went for that well, and um, yeah, very impressive performance. What's what's been driving it? Well, it's a it's a mixture of things. I mean, it's due partly to the recovery of the sector generally, um, but it's also really a stock selection thing. Um, Sam Isley holds quite a big chunk um, of the portfolio in stocks which will do kind of hinge on a knife edge I guess they'll either do really really well or or they won't do well at all um, for example Bygene is a good example of that it's a Chinese early stage cancer drug company um, and it's done really well this year and really contributed uh, to performance um, other things include things like Wright Medical um, now that was the trust or is the trust's second largest holding and it was kind of initially bought as a real contrarian position um, but it's it's done really well and really performed. Does he have many other companies like this? So despite the fact that this is a slightly lower risk um, kind of healthcare or biotech style fund, um, a big chunk of this portfolio is in what Sam Isley calls discontinuous growth. And um, basically, these are pretty high risk stocks, um, many of which are not making a profit at all right now, but could really outperform if things like, um, you know, they get a new drug through or clinical trials go well. Um, so he does have quite a big chunk in that portfolio, but also another chunk in, in some very high performing stocks, which kind of balance things out. Okay, so it's nicely diversified, is, let's yeah. say, across the low risk, high risk. Now, that said, although it is a diversified healthcare portfolio, there's a major omission from this trust portfolio. And what is this and why? Yeah, so real notable absence, um, a health, um, sorry, yeah, a real notable absence in the portfolio are hospital companies. Um, considering the fact that HCA Healthcare used to be the trust's largest holding, um, now there are absolutely no hospitals in this portfolio. He's been selling um, all of them over the past year. And there's a c- couple of reasons. I mean, the one big, obviously, elephant in the room when it comes to healthcare is Trump and um, his kind of uh, stated aim to dismantle the US healthcare system as it stands. Um, that has been having a kind of... Uh, volatile effect on hospital companies, um, which have been, you know, falling when it seems like he might be able to do that and then, and then rallying again when it seems like he won't. Um, but Sam Isley thought, you know, getting out of for that reason, but also because in fact, hospital utilization in the States is, is apparently really going down. Um, and that has been a big factor uh, behind his decision to, to scrap all of those stocks. Okay, thank you, Kate. And you can see her full roundup of what's been driving worldwide healthcare in this week's Investors Chronicle. Limitations on investing in pensions have increased over the last few years, in particular for higher earners, forcing them to consider alternative tax-efficient options for their savings. These include venture capital trusts, or VCTs for short, but these are a very different proposition to pensions. Emma, can you tell us a bit about VCTs and why investors who have used up their pensions allowances like them? 
Well, VCTs offer some attractive benefits, um, particularly tax benefits. If you hold a VCT new issue for five years, you get 30% tax relief to offset against your income tax bill. And VCTs also pay tax-free dividends and you don't incur capital gains tax when you sell their shares. And the reason there's so many attractive um, tax benefits and breaks for these types of um, vehicles is because they invest in early stage companies. So it's a tax break that the government gives to investors to help back companies that need that extra growth. Okay, now VCTs, they're a, a type of fund, right? Is it a good choice on offer? Because obviously they're a bit more unusual, let's say, than regular funds, um, where you have thousands to choose from. Um, you know, are there, you know, can, can you, can, can you, can you pick something good, different types? Yes, um, there are actually a lot of choice on the market, particularly this year, where we've already had around 10 VCT offers launched, which is actually unprecedented for this type of year. Um, and it's in stark contrast to last year when some of the major VCT groups didn't fundraise at all. And that's led many of the analysts that we spoke to about the industry to say that this tax year could see the VCTs raise about £1 billion, which will actually be the highest amount they've ever raised in the year. So a lot of choice for investors this year. OK. Um, why was there not much influence in, in past years and, you know, suddenly a flood this year? There are a couple of reasons, really. I mean, the main one is due to the fact that VCTs um, went through a number of changes in 2015 and the government stopped certain assets qualifying for VCT um, investments. Um, the most notable one was management buyouts and a number of trusts were investing in these kinds of assets. And so they needed to take some time out from the market to kind of readjust their business models, hire new staff and get to grips with new changes. And there's also been a little bit of worries in terms of what the government might do next um, in the coming budget. And as a result, many VCTs have decided to launch um, before the budget to try and get raise as much money as possible if there are possible changes. OK, so there's a nice big choice in offer. Does that mean it's going to be, let's say, easier to get into the fund you want than in the past few years when it was jump or you know, see see your favourite funds sell out fast. Yeah, um, certainly. As there is more choice, you've got you've got more options. Um, but as there are so many offers that have launched early, they could fill up quickly. Um, and so the analyst we spoke to suggested that if you've got the money on hand right now, you might want to invest earlier than normal to avoid the possibility that you'll miss out. Okay, so basically supply is being eaten up by even more demand. Quite possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, right. I mean, now turning to, you know, the funds that are raising money, who, you know, who's in the market this year? Well, I'll just pick out a couple of examples. Um, Octopus Titan, which is actually the largest VCT, is looking to raise a record-breaking £120 million. And they've actually got the ability to go up to £200 million for its VCT. And um, it invests in early stage companies, which are often backs before they're profitable. And unlike other VCTs, it's, it's always been in this space. So that's one of the reasons they feel that they're able to raise so much money. Um, it's targeting an annual regular dividend of 5p. Another manager is a generalist manager, Mobius, um, who this year is seeking to raise up to £80 million across its four VCTs. And they are one of the VCTs that hasn't raised money in the last few years. Um, so this is the first year they're raising money for a couple of years. And they um, traditionally invested in those management buyers that we talked about have now been 
disqualified. And so 80% of their portfolio is still in older, lower risk businesses. And the remaining amount is in new, um, focused on those early stage, early growth businesses. Um, so you're getting a bit of, a bit of, um, the best of both worlds in that sense. And that, that manager is targeting a dividend of between 4p and 6p a year across its various VCTs. Okay, now these chunky dividends alongside mm. all these fantastic tax breaks sound amazing, but there's always two sides. Are there any less desirable things about VCTs that investors should be aware of before they take the plunge? Well, I mean, this is a very high risk area. Um, you're investing in early stage unlisted smaller companies, which is pretty much as high risk as you can get. And so the returns as well, they can be very strong, can also be very volatile with many of these companies, um, you know, folding. Um, so that's a big issue to be concerned about. Also, the number, the amount of fees that VC trees charge tends to be a lot higher than other funds. Um, that's also because this is a high labor intensive kind of area to invest in. Okay, so very high octane and very pricey Mm. alongside your nice tax breaks and dividends. Okay, thank you, Emma. And um, you can see her full roundup of which VCTs are raising funds in this week's magazine and the website. That brings us to the end of today's show. So it just remains to thank Kate Bailey and Emma Adjumang at Investors Chronicle and Daniel Godfrey, Chief Executive of the People's Trust. You can read more on Worldwide Healthcare Trust and VCTs in this week's issue of the magazine and the website, where we also have more details on the People's Trust. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.